Well, a few years ago, uh, Elise and I took our boys on a vacation to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and we had a great time on the beach. And what was fun about this vacation is this is the first time we had taken any of our boys out of the country, and the first time they were immersed in a different culture and had to interact with a different language. And so I had a lot of fun watching my boys just take it all in. But they had more fun watching me attempt to speak Spanish. Um, so I had two years of Spanish in high school about 25 years ago, and I don't know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to be weird. And so about two days into our vacation, Cole looks at Elise, our oldest son Cole looks at Elise, and he says, why is dad being so friendly and polite? He's never this friendly and polite. And Elise said, what are you talking about? And Cole says, because he's constantly saying hola and gracias and pardon, hello and thank you and excuse me. And uh, so she said, why don't you ask your dad? And Cole said, dad, are those the only three words you know? You're not really speaking Spanish. And I said, yeah, I am. And uh, all the boys laughed and we laughed at my Spanglish and my terrible attempt at trying to master a language with just two years of Spanish. But uh, I think we've probably all been in that place at some point where we've tried to speak a different tongue and how difficult it can be. Today, my boys are also good in Spanish because of school. They're the ones that are the translators. And I just marvel at, at how far they've come with the language. But we know that, that language can be difficult. And I tell you that story because the story that we're going to look at today in the Hebrew word Babel that we're going to look at actually gets um, connected with the confusion of language often. It, it's usually what we, we think of. This is the beginning of many languages, this story. This is the beginning of confusing languages. Uh, but I think what we're going to see as we get into this passage in Genesis chapter 11 is that the message about Babel is something much deeper than there being many languages, and an explanation of how the many different languages that we've gotten. And actually what I wanna to do today is I wanna spend more time talking about what the city of Babel represented and this attempt to build the tower that we're gonna read about, more about what that represents, and then contrast that to another city and another project that's constantly taking place in the world. So the city of Babel in contrast to the city of God. And I wanna talk about what both of those cities represent. And then as we do that, I think we're gonna get some explanation and some clarity about all of this confusion around language because we're gonna see what it is that God supports and what it is that he opposes and what he confuses. So the Hebrew word Babel actually means confusion. The city was named after something that God caused to happen there. We first hear about this city in, uh, in Genesis chapter 10, so just the chapter before the story we're going to read. A man named Nimrod began to form his kingdom there in a place called Babylon. It was the, the center of, of this new home. And so Babylon was built on a single family that was a family that had come out um, out of those descendants that had exited the ark. And so uh, some of you might be thinking right now, why is it that we're skipping the ark story? And I'll tell you, we're, um, we're actually wrapping up our series on beginnings today, and we are skipping a big part of the story that's there in the beginning, the story of the ark. The reason we're doing that is because we're going to hit on the ark in the next series that we're going to do, starting next week, called Sheltered. But we want to show you this theme today, because the theme of building culture and cities and building cities that honor certain things and ambition becomes a theme throughout the story and it shows up right here. And so Nimrod founds this city that would later be called Babel. 
It's founded by a single family, and when we get to chapter 11, the city is under construction. And part of this construction project is that they're building this great big tower, or in in ancient terms, it would be a ziggurat. So it's not just a tower like a skyscraper that we might see today. It's this tower made out of uh, of mud and bricks, and there is almost a spiral staircase, you could say, going up to the top of it. This tower would be the center of the city. It would be the sign of what the city stood for and what, it, what its values were. And it's not so different than what we see today in modern cities. So New York City has the Statue of Liberty and it's placed there right on the edge of the city to represent what the city values. And if you visit St. Louis, you'll see the arch, which represents its place in the continent, the gateway to the west. And when you fly into Denver, you see the red-eyed Bronco, which represents what we all stand for so much here in Denver, Right? The guys in the back are laughing. They usually don't laugh at my jokes, but they are tonight. But here's the story. Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used the bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we make it make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So what I want you to notice here from the beginning is what they're doing. They're building this tower as I mentioned, but look why they're building it. They're building a tower to build a name, to make a name for themselves. To honor themselves, to be famous, to be renowned among the earth. earth. And why is it that they're doing that? We, we kind of give, uh, uh, we're given a little bit of detail so that they won't be scattered. So you could say it this way. They want to build this tower and, and achieve something and get fame and wealth and achievement so that they can control their future. Which is something we all still do today. We still always give in to the lie of control that if I have enough stuff, I achieve enough, I'm competent enough, I can control my future. That's what's happening here. Genesis chapter 11, verse 5. This is God's response to what's taking place. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from, from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city and that is why it is called Babel because the Lord confused their language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Okay, at first reading, this is really strange and I have questions when I read it. Like this, what's so wrong with a group of people unified building something. I mean, they could be destroying something. What's actually happening? There's more to the story than we're told just in in the record here in Genesis. And it actually takes some insight from our brothers in the Jewish faith, our brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith, because rabbis have been studying this passage much longer than we have as Christians. And they actually use the context to understand what's taking place. They'll be the first ones to say that as a result of Babel, uh, or I should say it this way, that after Babel, they they will say that like this, that um, languages and the diversity of languages didn't occur after Babel. That had occurred before Babel. So something else is going on. And they cite Genesis chapter 10. So if you go back just in the chapter before, 
Uh, Noah and his descendants have come out of the ark and you begin to have the table of nations going in different places. And we're actually told in the chapter before Babel, where it says God confuses their single language, that there are 70 nations and 70 languages among them. So chapter 10, verse five is an example of this. For these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. Chapter 10, verse 20, Ham and his clan, and his lang- they spread out with their languages. Chapter 10, verse 31, these are the sons of Shem. Shem would be the line that redemption would come. It's the father of the Semites and the Hebrews. By their clans and languages, they would spread out into different territories and nations. So what's happening? See, Babel is not about God punishing the world by creating a diversity of language. Babel is about how God, um, it's not about how God creates the different languages here in the moment. Babel is about how God opposes, listen to this, collective pride, oppressive control over others, and blind ambition that sacrifices the dignity of the individual. The Jewish rabbis, rabbis will use the, Jewish con, or the historical context and they'll help us see that what's actually happened is you have this city that is now oppressing the diversity around them. And they're asking all of the different nations and all of the different languages to conform to this single way of thinking, this single way of worshiping, this single way of speaking. Genesis chapter 11 tells the story of the first imperial power that conquers smaller nations and tribes and forces them to conform. This is the beginning of violence by nations and oppression of one people group over the other. This is what the story of Babel is about. And if you understand it that way, it makes sense why God would come down and wish to confuse what they are doing. Rabbi Jonathan Sack says it this way. He says, the story of Babel is a critique of the power of the collective when it crushes individuality. The individuality of the 70 cultures described in Genesis 10. When the rule of law is used to suppress individuals and their distinctive languages and traditions, this too is wrong. The miracle, listen to this, this is so true, and there's even more light to this knowing that the one true God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Community. It says, the miracle of monotheism is that unity in heaven creates diversity on earth. And God asks us with obvious conditions to respect that diversity. Hmm. What God is opposing is oppression of those that are different. We have the first recorded case here of a large-scale oppression by an evil government or system or city or nation or way of thinking on others. Rabbi Sachs goes on to say it this way. When at the end of the Babel story, God confuses their language of the builders, he is not creating a new state of affairs, but restoring the old. There's diversity. It was part of God's plan as they come out of the ark. Babel's trying to get everyone to conform. God confuses it, scatters them, and the languages increase again. See, the diversity of language in the nations was not a punishment for their pride. God was angry about their oppression. And he came down to to, uh, oppose that and to scatter that and to make sure that that kind of thing would not continue. Now, this would not be the last time that we would hear from this city in the scriptures. In fact, Babylon becomes its own theme. It's a, a thread through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And it represents 
a culture set against the purposes of God. So it's really clear. So anytime you see Babel or Babylon in the Bible, you know it's there to provide a stark contrast to the city of God or the kingdom of God. And it represents everything that God opposes. Now Babylon would become a mighty city. It would be the capital of the Babylonian Empire. And uh, we have different historians like Herodotus, the Greek historian that describes a, a great big city that had a wall, mighty wall around it that was 56 um, miles in circumference. And in the middle of that city that he saw thousands of years later after the story of Babel, you have um, a mighty tower there in the middle, a ziggurat. Maybe it's the unfinished ziggurat that they started. Maybe later on they completed it. The ziggurat that Herodotus saw was seven stories high. It was 300 feet. That's the size of the Statue of Liberty or Big Ben in London. It would have been quite an accomplishment. And there it is in the middle of the city to represent what the city stands for. And what is it that the city stands for? What is it the project stands for? Let me use a few words to describe it. First, it stands for pride, human pride. This project was ultimately about honoring themselves, lifting up their own name, making them famous. This story is about, and their ambition, what the city represents, is about control. It's an attempt, as we mentioned earlier, to control their own future, but we also know that one of the things about oppression is that to oppress someone means you have to control them. And so this is a story about one group of people controlling and oppressing another. And this is a story about ambition. And I want to clarify something here, because ambition um, that is rooted in pride and control is always ugly and it is deadly. But ambition in itself is not a bad thing. Human ambition is an incredible motivator. Uh, in fact, right now, every day, I'm praying for our scientists and doctors to be very ambitious and come up with a vaccine or a cure for COVID. But what we have happening here is blind ambition. To be blind by your ambition means you lose track of your values or your priorities and you don't see what else is taking place or you're willing to trample people on the way to achievement. So here's where it all starts. A theme that we see throughout the entire human story. Rob Bell has a great quote about ambition. He says, ambition is not bad, but it should not be the driver or choose the music. I think what he's saying is that ambition can't be your highest value, it has to come under something, it has to come under a greater narrative, a narrative that's full of truth and beauty and love. When ambition comes under that, it becomes a powerful thing. So their ambition is blind, and it's not uh, blessing anyone. In fact, it's hurting a whole group of people. And so Babel and this story that we read would be uh, a sign of what would come from this city in the years to come. So Babel becomes Babylon. What is Babylon known for? Well, Babylon was known for human pride. It was known for control. It was known for this blind ambition, but it takes on some more characteristics. Human pride would lead to greater oppression and violence by this city and this group of people. Many of you know how a good portion of the Old Testament is spent around the theme of the exile. When the city of Jerusalem, God's city, is destroyed and sacked, the temple's destroyed, and the Babylonians, the conquering kingdom and their king Nebuchadnezzar take with them as political slaves a bunch of people from the city to go live in Babylon as servants. It's the exile, away from their home, exiled from home, aliens in a different place. The Babylonians destroy Jerusalem in 586 BC. Nebuchadnezzar does terrible things. The violence and the oppression and the sorrow is great. 
when you read about Daniel and Esther, they're all uh, victims of the exile. They're all victims of Babylonian pride and oppression and violence. The Babylonians would also be known for their idols. So this would be a culture that would worship many man-made gods. And if you know anything about the scriptures, over and over again, we're invited to worship the one true God. And the reason that we're reminded and invited to do that over and over again is because there's many alternatives, there's many uh, alluring uh, illusions of these different gods that can serve us and give us the things that we want. But the thing about idols is that they always let us down because they are false and they are not alive. The Babylonian culture is full of many idols. The kings themselves made them into, uh, themselves into idols. And so you get into the, some of the great stories that we have from the book of Daniel. We have these three young men. They're exiles in Babylon. So they're under this pride and this control and this ambition that oppresses. They're under this idolatry. And you have these three young boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are told that they have to bow down and worship the image of the king. So another statue built to make a name for himself. This is what it says in Daniel chapter three. Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that, of King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the one that he has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the burning furnace. And remember what the three young men say? You know, our God can save us, Nebuchadnezzar, but even if he won't, we still will not bow down. It's a culture of idolatry. It's a city that asks people to bow and sacrifice to false things. Make the connection to what happens in our culture today. Our culture asks us to bow and sacrifice for false things. It may not be a golden image, but they're things like wealth and beauty and power and the perfect family, good things. But we're asked to bow and sacrifice, to love, serve, and trust those things. It's what we do with idols. The whole story continues. You get to Daniel chapter six. Now it's King Darius that's in charge. And uh, he gets all his buddies together and they come up with this decree that they can't, no one in the kingdom can pray to anyone but the king. And I love Daniel's defiance. As soon as he hears the order, he goes to his house and he begins to pray to God. Babylon would stand for idolatry. And lastly, Babylon would stand for grief. Babylon would be known as the city of grief for those that were weak or those that were conquered. The road to Babylon from Jerusalem was a terrible road, just the, the grief and the sorrow and the death that would occur would, would be, it's even hard to describe. The grief that division causes, the grief that violence and oppression causes, the grief that idols cause, it's great. And so you have layers and layers of grief in this city. This is what the city stands for. What a treat, right? Babel, Babylon, what a wonderful place to be. Now here's why I want you to see, um, here's what I want you to see from this story today. Every culture, every society, every government, communist, socialist, capitalist, kingdoms, empires, free republics, every grouping of people that has ever existed from this moment on has a lot of Babel in it including our country. As good as many of us think our country is, even though it has work to do, there's so much babble in our nation. 
Our cities have Babel in them. Our counties have Babel in them. Our culture has Babel in it. And whether it's the largest corporation that has a whole bunch of Babel in it, all the way down to the smallest country church, every organization uh, that, that has humans involved has a lot of Babel in it. And it is the goal of a Christian living in a plural society, a plural world, where not everyone thinks the same, everyone speaks a different language of values to be that city on the hill that Jesus described. And the goal of a Christian living within these systems is to present and build a different city and a different kingdom while living in the corrupt one. This is so important to understand. We will never be free from the babbles in this world. Partly because we're constantly building them. We're always building something. But the call of a Christian, or those faithful Jews that we read about in the scriptures, and even today, is to build the city of God, the kingdom of God, to lay the seeds of that as to redeem the corrupted city that stands as a contrast to what God is doing. This is such a message of us here at Cornerstone. I mean, there are so many things about our culture and our city, our state, our government that we love, and there are so many things that we look at and we say, oh, that's not God's way. But rather than retreat or to come at it from an arrogant place to say, look how bad all of this is, we're continually called as a community here at Cornerstone to engage our city and to build that different city within the corrupted city. So look what God would do. And I want you to notice all the little nods, all the ways God's reversing Babel and Babylon throughout the story. So in the same way that Babel was built on a single family, God would bring, build the city of God, the kingdom of God, the government of God, the vision of God on one family. Abraham, Abraham chapter 12, the Lord chooses one man in his family. And look what it says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will, earth will be blessed through you. Now I want you to notice something. The language almost matches exactly what's happening in Babel. Remember what they're saying? Let us make a name for ourselves let us make a great name for ourselves, but now everything has flipped. Rather than human ambition, human control, human pride driving it all, it's God doing something through people. So God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. See, this is how it works in the city of God. We serve him and God lifts us up. Greatness comes from being a servant, one that follows, one that listens. So rather than making a name for ourselves, we submit to God, we honor him, and like he, look what he does. He makes your name great. God calls this family, and he gives them a home, a certain place. The land we now know is Israel, and there in Israel, there would be a actual physical city. Psalm 132, verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion, an ancient name for the city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, means peace. He has desired it for his dwelling place. Joel chapter three, the prophet Joel says this, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, and then Jerusalem shall be for me holy. Here's what God's doing. He's contrasting the city of Babylon with the city of Jerusalem and saying this is what you're to build. 
This is what human endeavor is meant to do. This is what collective values, this is what collective worth, work and innovation is meant to do. It's meant to create a place of peace and justice and true worship for God. Here's another little nod to what's taking place, the story of Babel. What they're really building at Babel, you could say, is it was a, as a tower, but it was like a mountain. Many places we see a mention to the mountain of God. We see it here in the Joel passage. So whether it's Sinai or here at Jerusalem, the mountain of God is the place that God reaches down to touch us. What happened at Babylon is they were trying to build a tower that would allow them to reach God. See, the city of God is God undoing Babel. It's God redeeming Babel. Last week, we talked a lot about how part of the story is God getting us back to the garden. Well, that garden will be a garden city. Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit. Mention of the city. Revelation chapter three, verse 12. The one who is victorious shall make a pillar in the temple, my God. Never again will it leave it. And I'll write on them the name of God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. So here's what God's saying. That physical city in Jerusalem is actually a picture of the eternal city of new Jerusalem that will come to fully redeem everything that every Babel has always done. It will come to undo it, oppose it, transform it, and redeem it. See, that's what God does. There are certain things that God opposes. Here at Babel, he confused them, opposes things differently. This city, this new Jerusalem, will not be a place that the nations go out from, they, they get scattered from, but it will be a place of incredible unity. On that, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there, and the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. So th listen to that. So the nations leave Babel confused and the new Jerusalem, the glory and the nations and their character and their work is all brought in on a daily basis to be enjoyed. Why? Because God loves diversity and he's redeeming it. How about what he does with language? So something here happens, certainly. He uses uh, different languages to confuse them and to scatter them, even though there was languages, different languages before. But you get to Acts chapter two, and you can read it behind me. Look what happens. The Holy Spirit comes, the day of Pentecost. And you have all these pilgrims from different nations speak different languages. And they begin to speak languages that are not common to them, but there are those in the crowd that understand what they're saying. So it looks like God is confusing them again with language, but it's not confusing this time because there are those that understand. Because there is now unity around worship and following Jesus. Look what it says at the end of uh, chapter two. Actually, not at the end. It's verse, where are we at here? Verse, chapter, verse 10. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. There is now unity. There is clarity of language around true worship of God. Hmm. So you have Babel as one city that's everywhere. If you just know what to look for, you'll see Babel everywhere. You'll see Babel at work, you'll see Babel in the news, you'll see Babel in your kids' sports, you'll see Babel in the election, in our candidates, 
But if you also look, you will see the city of God, the kingdom of God, emerging around us. A kingdom where human pride is replaced with humility and worship towards God. And where control and oppression of others is replaced with honor and diversity and equity for others. And this will be the city where blind ambition that's willing to trample over people will be replaced with service and blessing. See, this is the character of this city. Pride, control, and ambition is all reversed within the city of God. This will be a place of peace and equality rather than that violence that we see in Babylon. It'll be a place of honoring what's real rather than deceitful idols. And it will be a place of incredible joy and peace. There'll be no more weeping, crying, sorrow, pain. It's all gone. What Babel creates, New Jerusalem redeems. So why all the time with this? Well, I want to just give one practical application. We're building something. You've probably heard it said before that we're all worshiping something. But listen, we're all building something. Many of us are building our own babbles. It's our own attempt to make a name for ourselves. It's our own attempt to control our own lives. Uh, many of us will um, do whatever it takes to, and even hurt people on the way there. We'll make incredible sacrifices that never pay out. We will worship it. We'll honor it. Leave our families in the dust as we try to make a name for ourselves. Many of us are building that. We live in a world that's constantly building that. You know, the last few years, we've been talking a lot about just the political chaos that's taking place in our country. And here at Cornerstone, we, we don't pick sides. And you know why we don't pick sides? We're not trying to stay in the middle and keep the peace. The reason we don't pick sides is because both the conservative and the liberal agenda have a lot of babble in them. And they do not deserve our full allegiance, sacrifice, and devotion. Now, we encourage people to be as involved as possible. I would love to have candidates come out of this church, just candidates that would run for office. I'd love to campaign for you and to support you. I'd love to do that. But one of the mistakes that we're making as, as a people during this over-politicized time is that we are becoming more and more devoted and discipled by our political agendas than we are by the scriptures. What we're doing is we are building new versions of Babel when we do that. And so we're not trying to be in the middle to keep the peace. We are simply saying the kingdom of God, the city of God is higher and different and that needs our attention and our teaching and our words. And if you understand that, you'll understand better how to play or operate or use the power that you have in our system to make a difference. Babel is everywhere and many of us are building it. The invitation in the scriptures is to build the kingdom. And it's not just a kingdom that we're looking forward to where New Jerusalem comes down someday. We're told that the kingdom is here. The city of God is here now. And so whenever you're at a place of work, maybe your, your, your work environment is terrible. Maybe it's babble uh, to the T. Listen, you can build the kingdom of God there. When you honor others and see the dignity in people, when you worship what is true, when you serve and when you bless, when you, uh, when you refuse to just let your blind ambition take over to, to help you climb the corporate ladder and you see the others around you, you're building the kingdom of God there. 
And the thing about the kingdom of God is it's like a seed that is planted, and as it grows up, it begins to transform that of which it's in. So whether it's a human heart, or a culture, or a government, the kingdom of God can transform. So we're all called to this. And we're called not just to build the Babels that we're at, we're actually called to build the kingdom of God in our own cities. You know, God loves cities. God loves Boulder. He loves the communities you live in. God loves Denver. You know why God loves the cities? Is because people are there. Cities are unique. Um, Tim Keller describes the uniqueness of cities this way. He describes the density and the diversity as things that are different from rural areas. And so the density, you just have more people there. And so one of the interesting things about cities is you will find more people like you, but you will also, because of its density, find more people who are not like you, that are diverse. God loves people. He loves diversity. God loves cities. But the thing about cities is because they're so dense, evil can be uh, intensified. And the plans, the evil plans that can occur among people can, uh, can, can really take root. And that is why even today, cities are so influential in our world. Denver runs the state. I grew up in a small town in southern Colorado. We were well aware of that. We didn't like it, but that's the case. Where the people are, that's where the power is. Listen, we live in a special place, and God has called us in this time and place to be a part of Boulder and Lafayette and Longmont and Westminster and Arvada and Denver's redemption. It's easy right now with just the way everything is to say, hey, nothing will work. Nothing can help. It's easy to feel hopeless and feel like there's nothing that you can do to help transform these broken systems. It's easy during COVID to say, you know, I just got to take care of myself. But that's never been the way that God calls his people to engage the cities that he's placed them in. And I'm going to give you the greatest example of it. So you get to Jeremiah chapter 29. This is a passage that comes out of the exile. So the people in Jerusalem, the city of God, have been oppressed, killed. Many of them hauled off to live as oppressed slaves in the city of Babylon, the city that represents all the evil and oppression in the world. And there was this conversation taking place. What is it that God's people are to do? To hunker down, just take care of ourselves, we to oppose the, the, uh, the, the government, we oppose, to oppose all the systems of power around us. What are we to do? We to separate ourselves from the people. And Jeremiah, who's in Jerusalem, writing to the exiles in Babylon, says these powerful words. And this is one of those passages that has formed our church over the years, so listen to it. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those who are carried into exile from Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Verse seven, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have been carried into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, yes this is what the Lord Almighty says. And then it goes on to say, anyone that's saying anything otherwise is false. Anyone that says demonize the other, anyone that says divide, anyone that says hide, anyone that says look down on it from a lofty place of pride because we can do that with religion. You know what God says to that? They are false. We are to build the city 
the eternal city in whatever city God has placed us in. It's hard to believe that God loved Babylon, but he did because it was full of people. And he sent these little seeds in there to help transform that place. Did you know that you can find Christians today living in the Middle East that trace their Christian lineage back to uh, a Jewish lineage that comes from this time. So you have Babylonians worshiping the one true God of the Jews and then later on as the message of the Jewish Messiah spread through that same region, you have people saying yes to that. See, there was transformation that took place because there were a few that heeded Jeremiah's words and they seek the peace and prosperity of their city. And I wonder what it would be like if we spent less time building our babbles, and we all do it, and we spent more time building the kingdom of God, the city of God right here. What would it be like if we had more Daniels, more Esthers, more young men who failed to bow, or they refused to bow down and worship the idols of the culture? What if we had more people with the ambition of Abraham who wished to just be a blessing? What if we had more people willing to serve and bless others rather than just to be famous or make a name for themselves? What if we had that? I think we would see a lot of what we are hating right now in our culture begin to be transformed. Let me remind you, Cornerstone, that God has given you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. And he's called you to be a builder, a builder of his city in the city that you find yourself in. I'll leave you with this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world. A town, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine for others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Do you believe that you have a light in you that's meant to light this world and warm this cold and personal world? Do you, do you believe that? Because this is what you're called to. And God has given you everything you need to build his city in your city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story. We thank you for just the different layers to the story of Babel. And today, Father, I pray that we could just reflect on our own lives with some sober, honest judgment. There's a lot of Babel in us. There's a lot of building of Babylon in our efforts and the, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the goals that we set in life. But Babylon leads to grief, leads to division leads to oppression, leads to sorrow, leads to sadness, leads to separation from you. But Father, we thank you that all along the way, you've had a plan of redemption. And so Babel was built by one family, you built a new city, a new nation by another. 
And we thank you for Abraham. We thank you for his descendants. We thank you for how you use the Jewish people to bring us Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. And we thank you that he says to us, you are that city that's placed on, on a hill to be seen. We thank you that we're a part of this incredible story that's been playing out for thousands of years. May we hear your call to build your city right now, to build your kingdom right now. May we stand for what you stand for, oppose what you oppose. And God, may you use um, just our small lives to do incredible things. I can't uh, help but think what you wanted to do for Babylon through the words of Jeremiah and the obedience of your people, you want to do for Boulder and Denver and all of the communities around. Use us for the redemption of our cities. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.